you are here this morning. Um, starting a, a new series this morning, and the we're just calling it Psalms. That's it. Nothing elaborate, nothing uh, catchy, literally just simply Psalms. And so I just want to begin this morning just with a really short overview of Psalms, not extensive by any means. But, but Psalms are known as the poetry writings, and, and they're, they're authored by a lot of various people. And in doing a study of the book of Psalms, you would see a powerful expression of an intensely religious people. Because the Israelites used Psalms as their hymnals, using them to celebrate ordinances and songs of praise. They would use these, these words of poetry. And you would also see expressions of fear, doubts, tragedies, as well as triumphs and joy and hopes. Virtually every human emotion is expressed somewhere in the book of Psalms. There's 150 chapters, and, and we're not going to go extensively or anything like that through the book of Psalms, but we are going to take a number of weeks, and, and we're going to explore these prayers and these praises. Psalms have also been referred to as truth presented in word pictures, and I think that's a really good way of putting the book of Psalms truth presented in word pictures. And so as we read through these psalms, you're going to see a lot of parallelism in them. The authors used various features, um, using them for emphasis and contrast, metaphorical expressions, also repetition, because the repetition helps us hang on to them. That's a beautiful thing. I need repetition in my life in order to hang on to these things. And so, But as we go through this, my desire is that we would appreciate the transparency of the writers, that we would take away truth that is presented to us and, of course, ask the Lord to help us to apply it to our lives. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can turn with me to Psalm 19. That's where we're going to be today, along with a lot of other scripture. It's, you're going to be looking at the screen a lot today. But if I could give a title to this psalm written by King David, <clears throat> I would title it The Big Reveal. But since it's not my job, it's God's job to, to title the psalms, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to title this, this message. And, and I'm going to call it The Big Reveal. The Big Reveal. Because Psalms 19 is about God revealing himself to us. And the psalm is divided into two main uh, parts. So the, the first part of the psalm speaks uh, about how God reveals himself to us through creation. And then the second half of it is, is how God speaks to us or, or reveals himself to us through his word. And so if you want to take the, the theologian's approach to it, we're going to see God revealing uh, himself through general or natural revelation, because that's how he reveals to, uh, himself to us through creation. <clears throat> or we also have the other side of it, the scriptural side of it, and theologians would call that the specific or special revelation. And then we have the last three verses of this psalm. 
And the last three verses are the author's response um, before a self-revealing holy God. How does he respond to that? So before we get into the word this, this morning, let's just take a moment and pray. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you do reveal yourself to us. And as we come before you this morning, Lord, help us to apply what you have for us to our lives. Lord, we want you to change us. We want you to raise us up. And so, Lord, open our minds, we pray, to what you'd have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to start with verse 1 of, of Psalm 19. God's word says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. It's like everything in creation shouting, God did this. God made this. God created all of this. Now, I might be biased, but I think Minnesota does a really good job of, of demonstrating how awesome God's creation is. I mean, if we think about it, there's just, uh, with all of our seasons, we have God displaying his artistry and his craftsmanship. With the beautiful, vibrant colors that we have, every season has its own beauty. Now, I will say some of the beauty is, is best enjoyed from the comfort and warmth of your home. Because even the snowstorms and the blizzards have beauty to them. Even though, again, I... I like to be in my house when that's happening, but we also have the lakes. And, and they kind of emphasize the beauty of the sunsets and the sunrises. Because the skies are the tapestry, but the waters reflect it. They mirror the skies. And so I guess sometimes when we look at that, it's like there's not a single color that God didn't use in a sunrise or a sunset. I remember one time heading into Hill City from our home in the evening, and, and so now we're, we're coming from the west, traveling east, and I just happened to, to turn around, no reason other than I, I just felt directed to turn around. I wasn't driving, okay, um, that's a good thing, but... <laughs> There was just this huge pillar of, of, of light, just brilliant light coming down. It didn't even look like a sunset. It just looked like this beam of light coming down. And it had all the vibrant colors of the sunset in them. And it was just absolutely gorgeous. And so this is just, just one illustration of, of God's beautiful color. By its very beauty and magnitude, the, the sky declares clearly that it too is the work of none other than the omnipotent creator. And God says in Isaiah chapter 48, verses 12b and, and 13, he says, I alone am God, the first and the last. It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth, my right hand that spread out the heavens above. When I call out the stars, they all appear 
in order. The creation account is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 1. And it tells us multiple times that God spoke it into being. Genesis 1-3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, then God said, let there be a space between the waters. Verse 7, then God said, the master creator designed it all and spoke it into being. All of it he created. Amazing. His handiwork in nature in the heavens is magnificent. The intricacies, the creativeness, the orderliness of it. The marvels of the Grand Canyon, our ecosystem, our human bodies, it all points to an intelligent creator. He displayed and continues to display his power through all of his creation, and he gave all of creation a responsibility of proclaiming his glory. The Holy Spirit led the author to pen that there is a continuum of proclamation going forth. Look at the sunset. You can't hear it say a word. Yet the message is conveyed repeatedly. God be glorified. All of humankind is to join in with the rest of the creation in glorifying God. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the waters fill the sea. For as the waters fill the sea the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. How do the waters fill the sea? Completely. Therefore, completely, the earth will be filled with the awareness of the glory of God. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote under the direction of the Holy Spirit that humanity is without excuse when it comes to knowing that God exists. Romans 1, 19 and 20 Verse 19 says, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. How has God made it obvious? Verse 20, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now, I remember uh, about 16 years ago or so, somebody asked me, do you, do you believe there is a God? And, and I didn't know Jesus as my Savior at that point, and, and I, I paused for a moment, and, and I considered the question, and I, I said, well, I said, I believe that something created all of this, but I don't know if I should call him God. I didn't know. But I could see from creation there was something powerful behind it. Even growing up with the teachings of evolution, I still could recognize there was something powerful behind it. I just didn't know to call him God. But there's no excuse for not knowing that God exists. He reveals himself continually through his creation. Through creation, he consistently demonstrates his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. George Washington Carver, a prominent American African scientist and inventor, is quoted for saying this. 
He said, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour. If only we will tune in. Have you tuned in? Have you heard God speak to you through nature, through a newborn baby, through the beating of your own heart? Have you tuned in? He's speaking. Are you listening? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the next two and a half verses, but look back at the text with me and continuing with the second half of of verse 4. It says, God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. Theologian Leopold wrote in his exposition of the Psalms these words. He says, day and night are thought of as conveying the same truth about God's glory, but in their own way. They pour forth or literally bubble forth their information. As someone has rightly remarked, it is as though their eloquent testimony bubbled forth at every crack and cranny of the universe. In fact, the very existence of day and night in the form in which they function is as remarkable as to tell about their maker. So each day is poetically envisioned as informing the next of his glory. So as the sun comes up, it's telling about God's glory. As the sun goes down, it's telling about God's glory. And it's just a cycle of God's glory being proclaimed. Now, here's where mankind can and has run amok, though. For thousands of years, there have been people who have worshipped creation instead of the creator. For example, the pagan worship of the sun, S-U-N. It's not new. God warned his people, though, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. He said, and when you look up into the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars... All the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. Worship anything or worshiping anything or anyone but the Creator is idolatry. And in Isaiah chapter 48, verses or verse 11b, God says, I will not let my reputation be tarnished, and I will not share my glory with idols. We can and should enjoy creation, but we are to worship only the Creator God. There's no excuse for not knowing God's existence. People everywhere should already believe in a Creator by just looking at the evidence of nature around them. God has revealed Himself to us through creation, natural revelation. And God further reveals Himself through specific or special revelation through scripture. And this revelation is clearer than the revelation of of God's creation in that through scripture, he reveals his holiness as well as our sinfulness. In Psalm 19, as the psalmist moves into that second half of, of his praise psalm, and he lists some of the benefits of God's law given through Moses for us. So picking it back up with verse 7, 
It says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The instructions reflect God's moral character and is thus perfect, without fault, in its life-giving influence on the soul. The psalmist continues, The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The decrees represent God's wisdom and will that are trustworthy for making wise and prudent decisions in life. Psalm 119, verses 32 and 34 say, I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. And then Psalm 19, 8, as we continue with our, our passage for today, says, The commands of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments comprise God's principles for right living that produce joy of being alive and receiving his blessings. Psalm 119 says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Verse 8 continues with, The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. The commands radiate God's light and thereby impart light to the eyes for living righteously in a covenant relationship and in wholesome fear of the Lord with enduring results. Reverence for the Lord is pure, the psalmist writes, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. You see, the laws govern social life that ensure justice and righteous treatment for the whole covenant community. And Psalms 119, verse 111 says, Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. These verses could also be summed up by 2 Timothy 3.16. When Paul wrote, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. What benefits there are of knowing Scripture, to meditate on them, to let them soak in, that we might hide them in our hearts, allowing them to shape and mold and direct our lives. The writer continues in Psalm 19 with, they, being the instructions, decrees, commands, commandments, and laws, are more the desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. God reveals himself through Scripture and through all of this, we learn of his holiness. And in light of his holiness, we also learn of our sinfulness. The Psalms are so real, so filled with honesty and transparency before a holy God. And I believe that's why so many find the book of Psalms to be comforting and encouraging, even though they are convicting. The writer of our passage included in that. Because he continues on, but this time with a question. A real, 
honest, humble question. In verse 12, he asks, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? The prophet in Jeremiah 17.9 asked a similar question. When he said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked, who really knows how bad it is? We need God's help. We need him to examine our hearts. Proverbs 29 asks also that question of who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure and free from sin. Who can do that on their own? We need God's help. He's the one who examines the heart. Looking back at Psalm 19 in the last three verses, we see how the psalmist's personal response to the knowledge of God revealing himself through nature and through scripture. He writes, cleanse me from these hidden faults, these things that are lurking in my heart. Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free from guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can you hear the psalmist's heart? I don't want anything to stand in my way with my relationship with God. I don't want any unconfessed sin. I don't want any hidden sin in my life. Even when I don't realize in what I'm doing at the moment that is sin, help me to know. Help me to be able to recognize that. I don't want to be weighed down by anything in my relationship with you. I understand your mightiness and your holiness. I'm your servant. I want every word that I speak, every thought that I have in my heart to please you. You're my rock, my safe place of hiding. You're my shelter. You're my redeemer and my salvation. Don't we all want to have a heartbeat like that? God has revealed himself to us through nature. He reveals himself to us through scripture. And he reveals himself when the word became flesh. John chapter 1, starting with verse 1, says, In the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created ex- nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And from verse 10 he says He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love 
and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is greater, far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has revealed God the Father to us. When Jesus' disciples were praising the Lord in Luke chapter 19, they were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And when they were doing that, the Pharisees complained. But Jesus responded, If they, being his disciples, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be outdone by a bunch of rocks. I want to praise God. I want to join in with the chorus that's going to and is glorifying God. It's been observed that one of God's purposes behind his great works, aside from the simple fact that he loves us, is his zeal for the glory of his name. When we credit him for what he has done, we are aligning ourselves with the zeal of the Lord himself. We are fulfilling our created purpose, and that is to glorify to glorify our creator, the powerful maker of the universe and everything in it, to glorify the giver of the law that we might see our sin for what it is, and to glorify the Savior for all that he has done. So would you just bow your heads with me as I I close this morning? God's revealed himself to us. You might be in that place where you were where I was 16 years ago where you, you wondered, I don't know who made all of this, but something powerful did this. Maybe that's where you are this morning. And, and you've recognized that. In fact, there's times where you are feeling something, some presence you enjoy spending outside. May I suggest to you that's because God's calling you. He's wanting you to truly know him, not just see his works. Maybe that's where you're here at this morning. You've never heard the truth that he sent his son to reveal who he is, a loving God, that wants to have a personal relationship with you. 
you've seen his qualities as you spent time in nature and, and maybe you even marveled over how the human body works. You may have even gone to church all your life and, and you've heard the law given through Moses, but you've just not got that peace about that personal relationship with God, that it's possible because of what his son Christ did. You've not heard necessarily that he's lived a sinless life. Jesus did, and, and he died a sacrificial death on the cross, and he was raised to life again, defeating death, covering our sins with his blood, and setting us free. You've just not had that opportunity to experience his, his unfailing love and his faithfulness in your life. If that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior, forgiveness for sins, set free to, to know God truly in a personal relationship. And so if that's you this morning, I don't want to call you up front or anything like that. Just ask that you just raise your hand. Everybody's got their eyes closed. Just raise your hand and acknowledge you want that personal relationship with Christ. You know that that's what you're needing today. just want to give you an opportunity. Or maybe you're here and I'm just going to ask the question, how are you doing? Are you praising and glorifying God with your words, with your thoughts, and how you're living your life? And how you spend time? Are you seeking to know God more through prayer, through reading the word, your Bible? And how you serve him? Or are the rocks surpassing you in praise? If that's you this morning and you just realize you've gotten off track, you've gotten a little distracted with the things of the world and, and you want to get back on track. If that's you this morning, again, I just invite you to, to just raise your hand. I just want to pray. Again, I'm not going to point you out or anything like that. Thank you. Thank you. just want to give you an opportunity. God wants us to be praising him with all that we are and everything that we do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the, the hands that were raised this morning. Those that recognize that that they've gotten a little off track, that they're, they're needing to refocus again on, on what their purpose is, what all of our purpose is, and that's to praise you, to bring you glory in all that we are and all that we do, that you would be exalted because you are an awesome and holy God. And you've poured your love out on us through your son, Jesus Christ's blood, that we have been cleansed and made new, reborn again to live life abundant and to worship you. God, we thank you for that responsibility because it brings us great joy to praise you and to glorify you. So may it be unto you, Lord, all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.